It's Friday, May 26, 2023. I'm Josh Rollerson, and from the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, this is Pennsylvania Legacies. Over the course of the 19th century, Pennsylvania lost about two-thirds of its woodlands to logging. By the end of the 20th century, much of Penn's woods had been restored, but the composition had changed. Gone were the vast old-growth forests dominated by towering white pines and hemlocks. In their place, today you'll find mostly mixed oak and northern hardwood forest. Well, the eastern hemlock is still the official state tree of Pennsylvania. It's also the unofficial mascot of the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, as featured in our logo. Hemlocks themselves, though, are much less prevalent in the Commonwealth than they once were, that is, outside of a handful of areas. And those populations are increasingly threatened by the invasive hemlock woolly adelgid, which is gaining a foothold in Pennsylvania as climate change brings warmer winters. The plight of the eastern hemlock is one relatively well-publicized example of how coniferous tree species are struggling in the Commonwealth. But it's just one example. Rising temperatures and changing growing seasons, shifting habitat ranges, migrating pests and invasives, and a host of other climate-related conditions are casting a shadow on the future of conifers, especially in places like southwestern Pennsylvania that were never that conifer-friendly to begin with. That's why the group Tree Pittsburgh is bringing together foresters, land managers, arborists, climatologists, ecologists, and advocates next month for the region's first conifer symposium. The goal is to better understand why southwestern PA's conifers are declining and to begin identifying possible solutions. Joe Stavish is Tree Pittsburgh's Director of Education and our guest on this episode. Joe, welcome to Pennsylvania Legacies. Thank you so much for having me here. Let's go back to like, I don't know, maybe middle school biology and sure. just a little refresher on how conifers are different from other kinds of trees and why, why that matters in this context. Does that make them more susceptible to environmental threats? It's a great question. Conifers are a more ancient group of trees. And when we look at difference between conifers and other trees, it is like a middle school science lesson. Conifers produce cones. They do not flower. They produce naked seeds. Conifer means naked seeds. And when we think of the group of trees they're in, they're in the gymnosperms, no flowers. Angiosperms are going to be everything else we're familiar with, oaks, maples, hickories. They produce flowers. They produce some sort of seed, nut, berry, or a coating that covers their seed. Conifers typically have needles and produce cones. Okay, so when we think about the role that conifers play in Pennsylvania's forests, so like about you know, how much of the, of the tree cover do they comprise? What, where do they fit? It really depends on what part of the state you travel to. Here in our Pittsburgh region, we do not have a large population of conifers. Um, that's clearly seen in the winter months when all of our deciduous trees are empty and bare. You can see where the conifers are or where they're not. Mm -hmm. uh, as you move to more mountainous parts of the state, central and northern parts of Pennsylvania, the conifer trees are more common in those areas. Uh, so they're not evenly dispersed, especially in built urban areas. Um, we don't have a good percentage of conifers in the region, and, and a lot of them aren't doing as well as we would like to see. And, and why is that? Like, what's distinctive about this part of the state that makes it maybe less uh, hospitable to conifers? For a lot of the conifer species, we may be at the southern end of their range. Mm -hmm. So as you leave Pennsylvania, go north, even up into Canada, that's where we typically think of trees with needles, conifers. Um, now, there are some species that we are at the northern range uh, where we have them here. But for the most part, Pennsylvania is kind of the southern range for a lot of those, more of a colder 
uh, type of tree that's more adapted for snow regions like long term. And I mean, I guess I'm assuming we're looking at a future not too far ahead where those ranges are, are going to be moving, or I guess they're probably already on the move. Those are the predictions. There's lots of shifts that will be happening with all of our different tree species. So in the Pittsburgh region, we're trying to experiment with more southern species of conifer and planting them here. Uh, hopefully they'll do well over the next 10, 20, 30 years. Um, and a lot of our native species of conifers that we have been seeing planted historically aren't doing very well. Mm. And, and why is that? Well, it's a combination of issues. So a lot of it does go right back to climate change. So we're having, uh, you know, warmer, wetter summers. We're having milder winters. Um, and that stresses out some of the trees, but it also brings in a lot of pest and disease issues, a lot of that being fungal-based. So right. when we have wet, warm springs and summers and mild winters, we see fungus spread quickly uh, through a lot of our tree species. And are they also having to compete with invasives and that kind of thing? It's a little bit of everything. So when we look at, you know, where trees are, um, conifers are not well adapted for growing in shade of other trees. So hemlock being the exception. So conifers need to be in the outside open areas. Um, and for a lot of people, they're, they're forgotten about when we're doing a new planting or designing a space. Uh, we're only choosing the same types of trees over and over again. So the diversity is, is sort of low. Uh, for a conifer specifically. But yeah, a lot of it's just pest and disease issues and competition from invasives, development, um, and everything in the region. And so when we talk about like why conifers matter and, and preserving conifers matter, obviously you would like to say trees have value just intrinsically in their own right and we should preserve them for their own sake. Is there also another level of well, you know, like ecosystem services or, or economic value that can be ascribed to, you know, having a, a healthy population of conifers? Is that figure here? Yeah, definitely. When we think of trees as a whole, no matter what group we're talking about, there are many environmental services and benefits that they provide to us. I mean, simply providing shade in the summertime, helping with soil erosion, helping to clean our air, to clean our water, provide habitat for wildlife, um, and food and, and resources for people and nature. But when we look at conifers, they provide services over the winter months. When a lot of our trees are dormant and not active, uh, they're still providing um, air quality cleansing. Their mm -hmm. leaves are still there. Their needles are still on the trees. They're acting as a visual barrier for our busy roads and buildings that we have around. And they're also helping with sound buffering. Uh, and so those are things that are deciduous trees that lose their leaves. They're not doing a lot for us over the winter months, but conifers are. And because they are very uh, visible in the wintertime, a lot of our songbirds and, and mammal species sort of congregate in conifer stands to act as sort of protection from the winter winds and just shelter in general. When you think of where are the owls hiding out and where a lot of our birds roosting at nighttime, it's in those conifers over the winter mm -hmm. months especially. Uh, so that's, you know, sort of that year-round benefit that we like to see on a tree. Um, conifers fit that bill. Is there also like a, especially in an urban setting where there's more buildings, more people, is there an energy savings that's associated with having a, a nice windbreak, you know, near your home? Historically, conifers have been used by farmers uh, in their fields to block the wind over the winter months. You know, you had maybe corn or something growing in the field all summer, but that's gone in the winter and you have a big open space. So if you look at a lot of the old farms, you know, the home itself is surrounded by conifer trees simply as a windbreak. Um, but that, that benefit uh, translates over to our urban areas. We often plant deciduous trees for shade in the summertime, 
And then when they lose their leaves, we want that sun on our homes in the winter to warm us, but we don't necessarily want the wind. So using conifers as a wind block can be very strategic to save on energy, to block those drafty winds from coming into our old windows and such. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a, a benefit of conifers. Uh, another big benefit, and I'm, I'm interested in how conifers compare to other types of trees in this area, but as, as I'm sure you know, there's a lot of interest in reforestation, afforestation type projects for the purpose of you know, carbon sequestration. Is there any particular benefit to, to conifers for, for that application? I don't think there is a lot of carbon sequestration that would happen with conifers just simply because of how their leaves are arranged and how they look. So being needles and holding those leaves up on there, um, from the research that I've done, I don't, I don't see them as like a top carbon sequester. There's lots of larger leaf trees that do that, uh, that trap a lot of things in their leaves because of the size of the leaf and the leaf matter they have. Um, conifers are tricky because uh, when they drop their needles, they, they do actually lose them throughout the year. Um, they do change the soil pH. Uh, they often make mm-hmm. it very acidic under there. So if you've ever hiked through a forest with a lot of conifers, there may not be a lot of other things growing under them. Uh, so they kind of change the dynamic and the balance of nature. Uh, they're still very important, but they're definitely altering our soil below us and improving the soil for themselves. Well, I was going to say, I use pine needles sometimes in my garden to kind of bring the pH Absolutely. down. Absolutely. If you grow blueberries, so. you want to you pull some pine needles in and put those in the ground. Um, there's as- absolute benefits from there. We often don't clean up the needles of conifers, and sometimes that's where we have the disease issues because if those needles are falling down, and they have a fungus, those fungal spores are still in the needles and people typically leave those under their pine trees, under their spruce trees, Hmm. and then they become airborne and float back up and keep hitting that tree over and over again. So it's not always recommended to clean up your needles under your evergreens, but if you know that there's a sickness or a disease on your tree, that's that's helpful to move that out of there. So, I mean, is that kind of thing part of your sort of public education mission, working with homeowners and like, you know, how to take care of your backyard conifers and, you know, and by extension, the, the population? So our main goal is just all trees in general, yeah. uh, but we definitely want to focus on conifers because we're the local urban forest nonprofit that really makes recommendation, recommendations on right tree for the right place how to correctly select trees for your location, how to plant them properly, how to care for them long-term, weeding, watering, mulching, pruning if needed. Uh, We wanna make sure that people have many different species in the landscape because there is going to be a new pest, a new disease in the future that we don't even know about. And so having many different trees is important for that. And also teaching people how they can participate in growing trees and contribute to their community forests. That's our big mission. Uh, Mm -hmm. Conifers fit in that role where we see people planting conifers. We see them popping up in our city and county parks. They're in the landscape, they're in people's yards, um, but they're not doing well overall. So we're educating ourselves first so that we can take that information uh, and sort of broadcast it to the larger audience so that we make more informed decisions on what types of trees we're planting and where so that we're not overplanting a species that maybe won't be predicted to do well into the future uh, or just to have that diversity. So uh, well, what are the species right now that look like they're going to be well positioned, bearing in mind the climate models and everything? What will our conifer population look like? 10, so that's that's now? the big question. And so one of the things we're doing this year is bringing together experts from the region um, for our conifer symposium. Uh, and we have researchers from, you know, tree institutions, universities, Um, state departments, forestry divisions, to sort of guide us in what their long-term research is showing in the broad forests and then how that relates back to our urban forest. We know that our like top three conifers in the region uh, that we see here in the Pittsburgh area, they're not doing well. When we think of our state tree, eastern hemlock, 
There's disease issues and, and mm-hmm. pest issues with that. We have eastern white pine, which has disease issues and fungal pathogens as well. And then spruce trees were probably the ones that first, uh, you know, people noticed spruce trees dying all around the region. And so from there, where do we go? We want to bring in trees with needles because of the benefits they provide. So we have a long list of trees that we have been growing in our tree farm, which we call the Heritage Nursery. Uh, And we're experimenting with a lot of these. And a lot of those trees have been in the ground, planted on properties for over 10 years, maybe close to 15. Um, But we almost need 50 or 100 years to see how they're predicted to do. So we're bringing in researchers and experts to kind of look at those models and then experiment with this list of trees that we've been growing and putting out into the communities. What are the other regions, you know, that you're looking at that maybe could be an analog and help you gain gain some more insight about what might work here? Um, That's challenging just because of where we're located in the United States, but we're definitely looking for... Uh, species of conifers that are in southern states, so you know, looking down in Maryland and looking at their loblolly pine population, bringing some of those up here. We're also looking at more northern climates from you know north of Pennsylvania to see how maybe the seed that we collect and grow in our in our nursery may be valuable to them as their climates shift as well. Uh, so we're kind of early in the game in in putting conifers out into the landscape. We haven't been doing it more than 15 years. Um, But there are a lot of great trees that exist in our region that aren't typical trees that you would find in Pennsylvania. So those genetics, we want. We want to capture Mm -hmm. the genetics and continue to grow those species because they have been proven to withstand our summers and winter conditions, even though they're not from Pennsylvania historically. Let's talk a little bit about the symposium then, what, sure. what you've got planned, what the goal is, who's, who's going to be there. Absolutely. So the symposium really has a, a few different goals. We want to bring together experts and key stakeholders on conifer species because of the decline that we're noticing. We also want to increase local knowledge of conifer trees and just awareness of their importance in our communities. Uh, we also want a better approach to tree planting and planning so that we have greater diversity for more resilient species into the future. Um, This is all funded through the Richard King Mellon Foundation, and it's a learning opportunity for us to bring in experts. It's also a way for us to guide our seed collection and the types of trees that we're growing and propagating in our nursery. So, you know, we want to see how our seed stock can benefit those more northern communities, um, which conifers are performing best in our bioregion. Uh, and sort of predicting ahead as climate change will increasingly change our our plant landscapes um, and just understand what we have and what's doing well. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we're excited to host this. All of our staff will be there learning and participating, but we're also going to meet a lot of our great community partners that have been planting trees in the region for many years and have properties where a lot of these trees can go. Yeah, well, I wanted to ask sort of how public facing is this? You're going to have experts and and tree professionals, but can anybody participate? So for this first round, we're not opening it up to the public um, yet. Uh, That may happen as we continue this on an annual basis. But right now, sort of our key stakeholders are going to be um, big landowners. You know, it might be the county parks or the Mm -hmm. city of Pittsburgh parks, um, municipal forestry organizations, land trust groups, um, arboretums, local Audubon societies, universities. Uh, and many more. Um, so there's lots of stakeholders that you know we're trying to invite to the symposium, uh, but it's not just the average homeowner yet. We want to see what we learn from the symposium 
take that information and create future programs for homeowners, for volunteers, for schools and community members um, based on our findings at this. This is a little more scientific of a program, not that the average person won't understand it, but we want to figure out how to craft programs and plans moving forward that we then release to the communities. Are you working with DCNR Bureau of Forestry on these kinds of things? Obviously, that's a, a different context sure. a lot of the time, but what, what are you comparing notes with those guys? So DCNR provides a lot of support for urban forest programs. Um, two of our speakers at the symposium are DCNR um, climate scientists. So we're bringing them in to sort of show what's been happening throughout the state forest systems. Um, we've also reached out to surrounding states to kind of see what are they dealing with? Are they seeing similar declines or similar issues? Um, but absolutely, they have a lot of knowledgeable staff that are uh, foresters uh, in the community, but also just the research scientists that are studying forests and have been doing that for a very long time. Uh, two of their staff will be invited to our symposium as presenters and speakers. Allegheny County has certainly one of the largest, if not the largest, county park system in Pennsylvania. What's the opportunity there? And what is the kind of the buy-in from the from the county, Ben? Absolutely. So the county has been actively planting trees for a few years now. Well, for many years, really. Uh, but the county is interested in how they can select species that will do well in the parks long term, um, also have diversity. Uh, so when we look at a lot of our county parks that were planted 50, 60, 70 years ago, uh, we have a lot of very similar species in the forest. And that's not a problem. But as we're moving forward, we want to make sure that we're putting in uh, different species of trees, different groups of trees. And they're very excited to work with us and learn and get trees from us to say, what should we be planting? Mm -hmm. We guide them often. They do a lot of the great work with volunteers and staff uh, but we just try to provide that local knowledge on what types of trees should go in the ground and then provide those trees because, unfortunately, not a lot of nurseries have the diverse types of conifers we need or want for our plantings, or they don't have the quantities available that are needed for these large-scale projects. What is your kind of production setup? How many trees are you able to provide? Well, conifers is a question mark because I don't, <laughs> I don't have the number on that, but the way we're set up currently... Our heritage, our heritage Nursery is located in, in Pittsburgh. We're in the Upper Lawrenceville area. Uh, we have over 110 different species of trees and shrub, all collected and grown from local seed source. They're not all native, but 95% of them are. Mm -hmm. um, we also have to choose trees that are urban tolerant for a lot of our right. really tough growing conditions. Um, but currently, there's probably 30,000 containerized trees ready to go and probably another 20 to 30,000 seedlings that are just starting to germinate now uh, that will be ready in a few years. And we're always actively collecting, uh, growing, germinating seeds and moving those out through our planting programs, school programs, tree adoption events, uh, and individual property owners that are placing wholesale orders with us. So clearly the emphasis right now is on kind of research and learning, better understanding the problem, maybe looking a little bit further ahead or to whatever extent these things are happening now. Like what are the solutions going to look like? What interventions are needed? What resources can be leveraged to make that happen? So I think those, I mean, those are all wonderful questions, but thinking ahead of trying to get people actively participating in the community forest is sort of our goal. Also getting people to understand the value and importance of trees. We work with a lot of people that love trees, but we also don't work with a lot of people uh, throughout the region because they have no interest in trees. They don't understand the importance that those community trees bring to our homes, parks, schools, um, and properties. So for us, trying to get that information out on large scale and then get people excited. Um, if we're losing trees constantly, if trees aren't looking good, 
that's sort of like the doom and gloom idea and people are like giving up and we don't mm. want them to give up because there is hope uh, and people can make that difference. They, they can make that change. And so we're trying to empower and excite people to participate in the next generation of trees that we may not see mature, right? Mm -hmm. They're going to go in the ground and they may take 70, 80 years to survive. But we want people to make educated decisions on where they're planting trees, where they're sourcing trees from, um, and, and hopefully caring for those trees. We see a lot of people plant a tree and walk away from it and hope for the best. Uh, and that doesn't always mm -hmm. happen. So active uh, maintenance is often needed for our trees. And then even for people that work around trees in more of a traditional landscape setting, maybe it's a homeowner or a landscape company, not damaging the existing trees we have in our landscapes mm -hmm. or recognizing when there is a pest or disease that's affecting them um, to maybe remove those trees so that the sickness or disease doesn't spread throughout the entire community. Those are things that don't always happen uh, and mm -hmm. it's unfortunate, but we want people looking at trees more and understanding that they can, they can participate in this. Are Christmas tree farmers a, a potential partner in this effort? I realize that's maybe not in, in and around Pittsburgh immediately, but certainly in Western PA. That's Pennsylvania is one of the number one producers and growers of Christmas trees. And we often thought of them in the early planning stages of this symposium because mm -hmm. they're the growers. They're growing a lot of different species um, that will ultimately be used and cut from their fields. Um, but we have challenges growing conifers in our nursery. They sometimes do not survive the winter or they don't germinate well, or we can't get seed from mature trees because they're non-existent in our area or they're too high off the ground. And by the time the cones fall, they're empty. So we're definitely looking at a lot of our big growers in the region in the future to communicate, go and tour their nurseries, their farms, see how they're growing conifers and see how some of that information may benefit us or on the opposite end, how we can start a lot of these diverse conifers and then send it out to these larger farms mm. where they can grow them in the extended fields. Because everything we do is in containers, so we're really only keeping them, you know, two to five years, and then they have to go in the ground somewhere right. else, which is usually a planting or someone's private property. Um, but large Christmas tree growers and, and growers in general, we hope to target uh, to include in this. And also to learn from them to see which species they're phasing out, right. which may be like the popular trend on what people want to buy, but it also may be due to what does well in their fields and how they grow them. I would guess they know something about what's working and what doesn't. Absolutely. And uh, it's funny to, to look at a native tree that's grown in a tree farm versus in the wild. They right. often look much different because they're sheared and pruned differently right. to give us the aesthetics for like a holiday tree. Uh, so people see the trees we grow and they say, this this doesn't look like the, the tree that I usually buy for the holiday season. And we say, well, this one hasn't been touched. This is natural form. Uh, and some people are starting to get into that more and, and seeking out those types of trees for decorating. Mm -hmm. The outcome of the symposium, will there be a report or some kind of summation of the knowledge and the learnings? Uh, what will be the next step from this process? Yeah, so through the symposium, I mean, we're definitely going to provide a lot of education to our participants and to our staff moving forward. Uh, we also want that community engagement, but we are going to put together uh, monitoring protocols so mm -hmm. we can go out and collectively look at all the trees that have been planted through our programs with our partners over the past 10 to 15 years and be able to monitor them annually to see how they're doing. We're contributing to that science and understanding which species are doing well and which species maybe aren't doing well. Uh, we've planted a lot of trees, but there hasn't been a monitoring program set up for them to see how are they doing. And we want that to continue. We also will have a written strategy on conifer tree species propagation 
and planting recommendations for individual property owners and land managers. Uh, the symposium is sort of the kickoff of this. So mm -hmm. that is an outcome to host a symposium. We'll probably end up doing that annually to update everyone and bring in more experts and, and advice for us. Another thing that will happen through the symposium, uh, once we understand what types of conifers we'd like to grow, that's on us to go out and collect seed to figure out the best way to germinate and grow these seeds so that they are available for people to plant into the future. Because if we get the list of what we should plant, but then we can't find those trees anywhere available for sale, then we're not able to do that. Uh, so absolutely learning how we can better our nursery production for conifers so that we have better success there and also use that nursery as an outdoor learning classroom, bringing in volunteers and educational opportunities has always been a goal of ours. Uh, and that will be a direct result from our symposium here. What does that actually look like when you go out looking for seeds? You, you just uh, you take off into the woods and... Yeah, that's funny. Depending on what species we need, we sort of have our calendar of when we should be searching for seed. Okay. Uh, we always get permission to collect if it's private property. Uh, we have permission with our city and county parks to work with the park rangers to acquire seed because the average person is not allowed to collect and remove things from mm -hmm. parks. Um, but for us, it's a, you know, some, some years are very successful. Some years uh, the trees produce a lot of seed. Other years, there's nothing. And so we also want to make sure that when we're collecting seed, we're not collecting from the same parent tree every year because we really want genetics. So we have to collect from, you know, five to 10 different known parent trees in the region, mix all those seeds together. Uh, and hopefully in the future, those trees would be adapted more. But if you, you just want to know like how we collect seed, it's often just taking a hike. Uh, walking, doing seed scouting, where we're looking at trees, making note of like what stage they're in. Because yeah. if you collect the seeds too soon, they don't germinate. Even though you mm -hmm. could acquire the seed, it may not be a successful uh, seed to germinate. So we have to take that into account. And then the big thing is like cleaning, preparing, and uh, stratifying those seeds in our refrigeration units, keeping them cold throughout the winter months so they don't get tricked to be in the wrong schedule, mm -hmm. and then trying to germinate them. Germinating seeds is, is fun, but also challenging. Sometimes you're mimicking what nature does and soaking them in sulfuric acid to mimic mm -hmm. the digestive stomach juices of a bird. Uh, oftentimes you're just putting them in the fridge and making them stay cold. Um, but we actually do a lot of volunteer seed collection events and we do trainings for people. So if you ever want to come and learn, you can go for a hike with us and and then once you know what to do, we often get donations from individuals that are out hiking or have yeah. trees on their grounds to, to send seed to us. Well, I mean, when you look at the, the monitoring program, when that's really built out at the scale you want it to be at, is there going to be a citizen science piece to that? Is there a role for, for volunteers or should, should we leave that to the pros? I think that's absolutely something we want to do with volunteers, with citizens, with people that are out in these spaces all the time. Uh, and we'll use the experts to kind of come up with the guidelines and monitoring protocol and what should you look for when and how do you record that? How do you capture that data? Um, but there's a lot of interesting research projects for university students, for pr professors, for forestry individuals. Uh, so we're excited to sort of spearhead that and move that forward into the future. Uh, but absolutely, citizen science is wonderful and we definitely want to encourage that uh, as a great way to monitor what's happening in our, in our landscapes. So the symposium is June 14th. What should people do if they would like to know more, maybe find out if it would be uh, something they should participate in? So we're officially calling our symposium the Allegheny County Conifer Symposium, but you can absolutely find the information on Tree Pittsburgh's website. Uh, it, you're correct, it is Wednesday, June 14th. It's sort of an all-day thing in Lawrenceville, starts at 9 a.m., wraps up around 4.30, and then we move to Tree Pittsburgh's campus for an evening reception, and people get to tour the nursery, see our small collection of conifers that we have on site, 
home and just have a nice evening uh, talking about trees overlooking the Allegheny River. But check out Tree Pittsburgh's website. That's where we keep everything and host that. So yeah. Joe Stavish, Director of Education with Tree Pittsburgh. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me and everyone out there that's listening and planting trees. The Allegheny County Conifer Symposium will be held June 14th in Pittsburgh. You can find information on the event and on Tree Pittsburgh's many other programs and activities at treepittsburgh.org. You'll find the link, as always, in the notes for this podcast episode, number 192 of Pennsylvania Legacies, at our website, which is still at peckpa.org, P-E-C-P-A.org. The website also has plenty of information on Peck's reforestation programs, our work on trails and outdoor recreation, advocacy for clean energy and sound climate policy at the state and federal levels, our work promoting healthy watersheds, stormwater management, and AMD remediation, all at peckpa.org, peckpa.org. Back in two weeks with another episode of the Pennsylvania Legacies podcast. Until then, I'm Josh Rollerson, and thank you so much for listening. Thank you.